Okay, if you have a Bible with you this morning, please open up to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> so I'm currently in between uh, preaching seasons and a, a series, and I'm taking this season to share some, uh, what I call one of, messages. The past few weeks I've shared messages on Pentecost, this we finished our, our extended series on John, and then it was Pentecost Sunday. So I spoke on Pentecost, and then the following week I felt inspired to, to preach out of um, Ezekiel 37, the account of the prophet Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. I don't know that I've ever preached on that before. And I tell you what, I, I, I look back on that day, I think it was maybe one of the strongest senses of anointing that I've felt on me in preaching um, since I've been here. One of the top ones, anyway. And then last Sunday I addressed an age-old question, why do bad things happen? And today what I want to do is I want to take a look at some, a small piece of island history, a small piece of history here on Prince Edward Island. I want to talk about the McDonaldite <coughs> revival. I got to tell you, it feels to me like God is taking us somewhere. These past few weeks since Pentecost, without intention, just me week by week trying to follow where the Spirit leads, I feel like He's taking us somewhere that, like we're building towards something. It's not that I have an agenda or that I'm trying to make something happen. I'm just going week by week where He wants me. I'll tell you, this is how it's happening for me. I go to our pastor's meeting on Tuesday mornings. I always go on Tuesday mornings to hang out with those guys. Something is said or done in that meeting, and I get inspired on Tuesday, and that's what leads to my message on Sunday. I think I wasn't even aware that Pentecost was coming until one of the guys mentioned it on that Tuesday morning. I was like, oh, I should preach on Pentecost. And then the next week, in the midst of prayer, one guy was praying, and Ezekiel 37, the Valley of Dry Bones, came to mind, and then that same guy prayed about the Valley of Dry Bones. I'm like, oh, that sounds like God. Maybe I should preach on that. And so... Boy, I really felt life on it. And then this, the same thing with this this week. We were, we were talking and the McDonaldite revival from the early 1800s came up in our conversation and I felt inspired again. I felt a spark that, hey, I need, to, I need to find out more. I'd heard about it, did very little research into it. I need to find out more. And I, so I did. I found a bunch of stuff. And, and so I want to share with that with you this morning. I feel like we're building towards something, that God is taking us somewhere. I don't even know what the full destination is. But I know what he feels like. I know what his presence feels like. I know what it feels like to be led by the Spirit. That's what it feels like to me now. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. So my heart is this. Have your way, Lord. <laughs> Whatever you want to do, you come and be God in our midst and you have your way. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. This is what Paul writes. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God's, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Lord, I thank you for the truth and the power that's in your word. 
Lord, I pray that you would be on this time to share this message with my friends this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to speak the life of your spirit into them. And even now, I pray that you prepare each heart and mind to be fertile soil, open and ready to receive whatever you want to do. Amen? Now, I love those verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. They just speak to me. Matter of fact, those those verses were so significant to me that when I was ordained a vineyard pastor, those were the verses I used for my, for my ordination ceremony. Because they're so true in my life. Before Jesus came into my life, I was nothing. I was, I was a zero with the rim erased out. I was nothing. He chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are. That's exactly what I felt like growing up. I felt like nothing. I was a skinny kid. I used to have a big mole on my nose. I wore glasses. I had a funny last name like Zawacki. I got beat up every day after school from first to eighth grade. Because I was little, I had a big mouth. <laughs> and I would get my butt kicked every single day. I'd fight, but I just wasn't strong enough. My younger brother, who was bigger than me, I can't tell you how many times he had to reach into a pile of kids, beat me up, and drag me out bloody and sweaty and take me home. I was nothing. I was lost. I was a follower. Still a fighter. <laughs> fighter. And Jesus captured my heart and changed me. Almost overnight, took this nothing, this thing that was not, and he made me a leader. Never saw myself that way. But that's who God chose. He chose the kid that got beat up every day. I had the funny last thing. So there's a cheesy old Christian cliche that says, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. Anybody ever hear that? God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. It's as cheesy as it sounds, it's absolutely true. The Bible is replete with example after example of broken people called by God. For example, Noah drank too much. And by any reasonable logical standard, Abraham was too old. Joseph had been abused and had been a convict. Moses was a murderer and a fugitive. He was running from justice. He killed somebody who was on the run. And God meets him in the burning bush. Gideon, who God calls a mighty warrior, is hiding, afraid in a hole to try and come up with enough grain to make bread for the day. God calls him to be a mighty warrior, warrior to set his people free. Samson was arrogant and rebellious and angry. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah was way too young and inexperienced when he was called to be a prophet. David was an adulterer, and he conspired to have the woman that, that he stole, he conspired to have her husband killed in battle. Elijah was suicidal. Oh, God bless Isaiah. He preached naked. Boy, if that doesn't, you know, God does strange things. He preached naked. Jonah was angry at God and ran from him. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist, for goodness sake, ate bugs. He ate bugs, man. Peter denied even knowing Christ. And on the day of Pentecost, who was front and center? 
this is not long after he said to people, I don't even know him. He swore, scripture says, I don't know the man. All the disciples not only fell asleep when Jesus asked them to pray, but abandoned him in his greatest hour of need. Martha, Martha, Martha. She worried about everything. The Samaritan woman had five husbands and was living with a sixth man. Zacchaeus was too small. Timothy had health issues. And oh, Paul, who wrote the words I read this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he was traveling around killing Christians when God called him. His ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. Most of these people would never get hired by any church search committees nowadays. <laughs> Every single one of them would be disqualified. And the namesake, oh, you were, you were, just recently you were traveling around killing Christians. Would you come and be our senior pastor? Oh, maybe not. <laughs> And so the namesake of the McDonaldite revival, he would fit nicely into this roster of misfits and broken toys. The Reverend Donald McDonald was an alcoholic preacher who was running away from multiple failures when he arrived here on Prince Edward Island in 1826. I did a bit of research this week. This is what I found. That Donald McDonald was born in Perthshire, Scotland, in 1783, and he grew up the son of a poor fruit farmer. Even that being the case, in 1808, he enrolled at university, and he worked his way through school as a farmer and a teacher until he graduated from the University of St. Andrew in 1816. Later that same year, he was ordained a missionary in the Church of Scotland. Little is known of McDonald's life at this point other than the fact that he had developed a pretty serious drinking problem. His drinking became so bad and his reputation so tarnished that he left Scotland for North America. Probably escaped Scotland for North America would be a more accurate way of stating it. He arrived on Cape Breton Island in 1824 with a letter claiming that he was a minister in good standing in the Church of Scotland. Whether or not that's actually true seemed to be some uh, question, some debate in the, the research I did. So he's on Cape Breton Island, 1824, and apparently old habits uh, die hard. Even if you cross an ocean to run away and make a fresh new start, old habits die hard. And so on this side of the pond, McDonald also became known for his frequent uh, drunkenness. It, it appears that he liked to drink with the Roman Catholic Scots who had settled on Cape Breton Island. Within two years, he'd worn out his welcome there and squandered his ministry opportunities on Cape Breton Island, and he escaped to, to Prince Edward Island. As one writer put it, it says, um, after two years in which his cup was always full, his ministry on Cape Breton Island had run dry. <laughs> then he left Cape Breton Island for Prince Edward Island. You have a, you have a slide for that? I think you'd know. After two years in which his cup was always full, his ministry on Cape Breton Island had run dry. He then left Cape Breton for Prince Edward Island. So after his arrival on PEI, McDonald initially attempted an itinerant ministry among the island Scots, those scattered members of the Scottish Kirk who had settled here. But it really didn't last long. 
McDonald was a tr deeply uh, troubled man, drinking uh, the drinking and, and really whatever pain he was trying to self-medicate, it was destroying him. He was depressed. He was distressed deeply, significantly concerned over the state of his own soul, his own spiritual condition. And so by 1828, McDonald had quit preaching and was working odd jobs around the island, really just trying to make ends meet. At this point, the research I've read says that he had sunk into a deep depression. And in this desperate place, McDonald, who was a man of faith, he turned to Scripture. And he wrestled with the Word. He read the Word, and read the Word, and read the Word. There was one a story I read that said a friend would watch him from a distance. He'd be out in the field, sitting on a tree stump, reading the Word, and, and almost like he was murmuring to himself, like he was arguing with himself as he, as he wrestled with the Word of God. He struggled with guilt and with shame and with condemnation. He struggled with conviction. He struggled with trying to comprehend the reality of the grace of God. And he was hopeless. You ever felt hopeless? I've felt hopeless. I've been there. I'm sure you have. So this went on until one fateful day. A day that was a turning point, a significant day in the life of Donald McDonald. So one day he's at a friend's house on Malpeak Road. And this is what Donald writes. McDonald writes of himself. He says, being at my wit's end, I retired to my bedroom and there fell on my knees, but had no utterance in prayer. Have you ever been so desperate before God that words fail you? There's nothing left to say. Maybe you just cry. Maybe you just groan. I've prayed all the words I know how to pray. I don't even know what to say anymore. I am at my wit's end. I think this is where he's at. It says, being at my wit's end, I retired to my bedroom and there fell on my knees, but I had no utterance in prayer. My head seemed as dry as a piece of caulk. But, thanks be to God, I was relieved. My bonds were burst asunder. My soul was brought out of prison. Old things were passed away. And all things became new. Something happened. At the end of his wits, at the end of his rope, crying out to God in desperation, something happened. Somehow, God touched him. God revealed himself. The Spirit of God moved on him. And a few things happened. Even though he felt as dry as a piece of cork, he was relieved. His bonds burst. His soul was brought out of prison. He was set free. Old things passed away, and all things became new. Obvious reference to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19, where Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is what happened to him. His sins were not being counted against him. He was made new. The old had gone. 
McDonald was in Christ. He was a new creation. The old had somehow supernaturally passed away, and indeed, the new had graciously and lovingly come to him. This was the turning point in the Reverend Donald McDonald's life. Found some resources by a pastor named David Wheel, who'd written his doctrinal thesis on the life of Donald McDonald. This is what he writes. He says, two days after his conversion, while he was lying awake in bed in the morning, when he heard a voice uttering loudly and distinctly, the time has come. At first he was troubled by the pronouncement, apparently believing that it signified his end was near. Later, however, he looked back on the incident as divine announcement of the beginning of a new work. And throughout his entire subsequent career, McDonald believed that he was God's specially appointed messenger. I am, he once proclaimed, a trumpet in the hands of another. It was not long after his conversion in 1828 that this trumpet of the Lord began to be heard across Prince Edward Island. And judging from the response, it was a clear and compelling note sounded. So here we have Donald McDonald, who had this, who had this turning point experience. You might say a born-again experience after crying out to God. Two days later, God speaks to him. He clearly and loudly hears the voice of the Lord. And that's when things really got interesting. When God speaks, things change. When God speaks, light comes from darkness. When God speaks, life itself comes from death. And so by 1928, excuse me, by 1929, a great revival was in progress here on Prince Edward Island. And it continued through, excuse me, 1829. Did I say 19? By 1829, a great revival was in progress and continued to 1830. And many of the historical, the typically historical characteristics of a revival were present. There was fervent prayer. There was conviction of sin. There was a passionate preaching of the word. There was repentance. There was birth of new worship songs. Ronald McDonald wrote many of himself. Ronald McDonald. Oh my goodness. Talk about cultural conditioning, huh? I think I have a Big Mac for lunch. Huh? Large fries. <laughs> Maybe just a happy meal. I don't know. There were birth of new worship songs. There was the powerful presence of God. There were the workings of the Holy Spirit. And guys, listen to me. There were manifestations. There were manifestations of the Spirit. Manifestations under the power of the Holy Spirit. And get this, it was messy. It was really messy. Revival is always messy. It always is. If you want revival, and most of us, if you did a question and say, hey, would you like revival? Most people would say yes. You have no idea how messy revival could be. Because things just like that happen. Just like that. If you want revival, prepare yourself for messy. Many... <laughs> If you want revival, prepare yourself for messy. Many, listen to me, many strange things happened in the McDonald's Art Revival. Right here on PEI. Right here in central PEI. Again, Professor Wheel, he writes this. 
1830, a Baptist lay preacher, Samuel McCauley, visited the island and related that there were extraordinary excitement. I wonder what extraordinary excitement sounds like. <laughs> he visited the island and related that there was extraordinary excitement among the many followers of McDonald, especially those who spoke Gaelic, the Gaelic language. He reported, this man, McDonald, who professes to have recently experienced a change of heart and now preaches in a very alarming manner. Great numbers attend his preaching, and the effects produced on many are unusual. They are seized with convulsive effects, and their bodies and limbs are distorted in wonderful manner. So let me ask you, paint a picture in your mind's eye. Just what might that look like? Church members extraordinarily excited. I'll tell you what, I could go for a little bit of that. All right? I've been a preacher for a lot of years, and a lot of times it's like, anybody awake? Hello? If you're there, if you hear me, nod your head. Don't fall asleep. I could go for some extraordinary excitement. I think that would be fun. How about a minister who preaches in a very alarming manner? What would you describe? A preacher preaching in a very alarming... What would that picture look like for you? He might not have three points <laughs> to his sermon. It might go longer. I would tell you, before we came here, I, I, I had interviewed for a church in Wisconsin, I think. It was a really small town, 500 people. And they had three churches in town. I'm sure all 500 people went to one of those three churches and probably got mad and switched around to those three different churches. So I was, I was doing a video interview with them. And one, there was an older woman on the search team. And she says to me, hey, I've listened to some of your sermons online. She says, and, and you're a really good preacher. I said, well, thank you. She says, but you preach too long. She says, you preach way too long. She says, so she tells us, my roast is going to burn. <laughs> Apparently, her Sunday morning ritual was... She put the roast in, went to church. By the time she got out of church, her roast was done. She says, you're going to have to cut those in half, is what she told me. I'm thinking they didn't get a minister in that church who preaches in a very alarming manner, right? Because you've got to be done in time so the roast don't burn. My goodness. It says great numbers were attending the, the meetings. And they were physical manifestations on church people's bodies described as seizures, with convulsive effect. What, was, what does a seizure look like? Anybody ever seen somebody have a seizure? Ever seen somebody in convulsions? You ever see somebody who gets so hammered by the Holy Spirit that their whole body flops around and shakes? I've watched people flop around on the floor. I've seen them shake in their seat. And then he goes on to describe it further. And their bodies and limbs are distorted in a wonderful manner. That's pretty Good word picture of manifestations. Tell you what, sounds like my kind of church meeting. The professor continues, this is what he says. He says, these strange physical manifestations of piety were referred to as the work or the works, as in the working of the Holy Spirit, and were to become uh, an accepted part of McDonald's ministry throughout his career. And he, he ministered on this island for like the next three or four decades. In fact, in subsequent years, McDonald's followers were often referred to uh, derisively as kickers or jumpers. 
And it's unfortunate that while these works were only one aspect of the McDonald-like faith, they became, in the popular mind, the customary means of identifying the group. So you know why somebody gets called a kicker or a jumper? Because they kick or jump. <laughs> because the Spirit of God touches them. That's why you get called a kicker or a jumper. We saw similar manifestations to what's being described here just this past last summer. When John Arnott was here and visited the island. And certainly when Randy Clark was here. I can remember at one point standing in the back of the room. And Randy Clark is ministering. And I'm watching a sea of people shout and jump and shake under the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, am I really on PEI? Because <laughs> you all are some of the most conservative a lot of people I have met my whole life. I'm thinking, this has got to be God. It just absolutely has to be. And I was delighted to discover that wasn't the first time that it's happened before. God's planted seeds in the land here. He has of his spirit. He's done stuff here before. You know when God does something, the, the effect is lasting. It goes on and on and on and on. When he speaks a word, it just goes on endlessly. It was awesome when Randy Clark was here. It was amazing when John Arnott was here. I saw some of you guys at the John Arnott thing jumping and shaking and shouting. I'm thinking, hot diggity. This is awesome. This is wonderful. And this is my heart. Do it again, Lord. Do it again and do more. The professor goes on. He says, by 1830, approximately 300 people, persons, had experienced the works. And it was likely that several hundred more might have been affected in this way before the revival ended. And since those who actually underwent a spectacular conversion were um, experience where only a small percentage of those added to the meetings, it's probably safe to estimate that several thousand persons were influenced by the revival. The population of the entire island at the time was approximately 30,000 people. You know what that means? That a significant percentage of, of the island population had been directly impacted by the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. That tells me that the land has been impacted by the, by the presence of God, by the Spirit of God. That it's, it's in our blood, it's generationally in us that God's done this. And that he's faithful to his promises. I can't prove this, I don't have documented evidence for it, but this is what I feel in my spirit. We didn't get everything that God planned in McDonald Light Revival. I think it got cut short. I think there could have been more. It only lasted until 1830, a little more than a year. And I've studied revival, and I've seen that phenomenon before. What happens is this. This is why revivals die. Revivals start because somebody prays and cries out, God, we need you. We want more of you, no matter how you want to do what you want to do. That's how a revival starts. You know how revivals end? Because men like me, pastors, try to control it. We try to, to make it respectable. We try to tamp it down and control. And that's when it dies. This only lasts a little bit more than a year. God had more. I guarantee God had more. The island, a, a profoundly significant percentage of this island was impacted by the Spirit of God. So I challenge you this morning. 
Are you willing to let God be God? Are you willing to let God be God? Or do you have a picture and expectation of what you think church is supposed to be like and let us not color outside those lines? We all have our picture. I got mine too. And I've watched him rock my world. Ever tell you about the first time I went to Toronto? We know that things broke out in Toronto about 20 years ago, a little bit more than that. I was living in West Virginia at the time, and I wasn't even planning to tell the story. I'm in West Virginia. The Toronto thing broke out in January 94, I think. November of 93, the church we were at, they had a guest speaker come. His name was John Sheesby. And John had been prayed over by uh, Paul Kane and was carrying just this powerful sense of the God's presence. So he had this wonderful English accent, and he's preaching with all kinds of anointing and authority. And he's at ministry time at the end. It has us all lined up. It was a big church. They had like 700 people in that church. They had a facility about the size of, some, size of Summerside Community Church. And I remember I'm standing kind of like all the way on this far end. And so the guy John Sheesby, he starts praying for people all the way on that far end. And as he's coming this way, he's praying for people and people are falling down, they're shaking, and they're laughing like crazy, like laughing right out loud. Now, for the most part, I'm really introverted, I'm pretty conservative and reserved. But as this guy was moving down the line, before he ever got to me, I'm already starting to shake and, and laugh. And laugh loud. Laugh loud like I don't need a microphone to laugh loud. Everybody in that auditorium and that sanctuary knows that Tom's laughing. But nobody can because there are bodies everywhere. Right? It's like a bomb went off that place. People are all over the floor. Matter of fact, I'm shaking violently and I'm laughing loudly, but I'm still aware enough that I know I'm a big guy. And if I just fall, I'm going to land on somebody <laughs> and somebody's going to get hurt. That was my, my thinking. And so by the time Sheesby gets to me, he grabs me by the hand, and it felt like 10,000 volts of electricity went through me and somehow led me around the bodies and up onto the platform where he prayed for me for about one second, and I hit the ground, and I stayed there like I was nailed to the floor for a couple of hours. I like the one eye, I'm just looking at this part of the room thinking, man, this is crazy. That was the first night. This went on for the next three or four nights, and some of us are thinking, man, this is awesome. Let's just keep this guy here and just keep going. As long as God wants to keep showing up, we'll just keep. Why stop it? But the elders got scared. They did. And so they pulled the plug on it. And it ended after three or four days. And so many of us are broken on it. That was in November. A few months later, we find out that just a, a few hours away up in Toronto, the same stuff is happening. That God is broken out there. And so for those, especially for those of us who are disappointed that things got shut down in West Virginia, we're like, we'll get in a van, we're piling up, we're going up there. And so we did. Man, we were desperate. We were desperate for God. And we got there in time for an afternoon session, and we just wanted, we just wanted more. We wanted what Sheesby did to us down in West Virginia. Do it to us again. We want to get hammered by God. That's why we drove all that way. And so we get there and they're doing some afternoon workshop on how to lead worship in an event like this. And it was good, but it wasn't what we wanted. I remember going back to my room after, like, oh, God, I just want you. I remember there had been a book that came out. When it, this is, before we went up there, there was a book, Catch the Spirit or something. I remember, 
Catch the Fire. And I remember being at home in West Virginia, reading that book, I'm thinking, I've tasted this, I've seen this, I want more of this. And so a few of my friends, some of the pastors, associate pastors of that church, the youth pastor, the associate pastor, we all piled up and went. And so we were desperate after that afternoon session, didn't give us what we were looking for. We went back that night, hungry, man, hungry for God. I remember they had the ministry time after the preaching, and somebody came over and prayed for me, and I had this Elvis Presley thing happening on my body. I can't even describe it. I don't even know what God was doing, but my left leg was shaking. I couldn't have stopped it from shaking if I wanted to. I could have nailed that thing to the floor. I wouldn't have stopped shaking. I have no idea what God was doing, but it did it for a long time. I was concerned, but I'm like, I have, I'm the guy who's driving. They, I love these guys in West Virginia. It was a small town. None of them drove in a big city like Toronto before, so the New York kid had to drive. I was like, Lord, I'm like so drunk. How am I going to drive home? It was a grace of God that got us back to our hotel room. We got hammered. The, the, the rest of that week, it was amazing. What we experienced to God. I remember coming home and meeting with a bunch of my friends in the basement of my house. I laid hands on them. I didn't have to say a word. I remember this one guy, Scott. He fell forward right on his face. Like he had been knocked out. Bounced off the floor. All my friends were over the floor in the basement. Because whatever, whatever God did in Toronto, it was absolutely transferable. <clears throat> we took it home with us. I so much want to let God be God. I don't want to play it safe. I don't give a damn about being respectable. I don't. I just want to let God be God. Let me be his fool. I was nothing when he found me. I could be nothing again. I just want God to be God. How about you? What if just a small group of us, we decided, Lord, we're going to let you do whatever you want to do. We care nothing for our reputations. I don't care what anybody says about us. If it's you, Lord, we want it. Let it be as messy as you want it to be, but let it be you. And I don't want that because, oh, I want to be known as the pastor of that church that did this thing. I care anything about that. I just want him. I want his spirit. I want the spirit of God to come and do whatever the spirit of God wants to do. If it's quiet, if it's loud, if it's calm, if it's crazy, I don't care, just as long as it's him. I don't want to have my hand back on the throttle anymore. Some author, his name escapes me right now, but a quote from one of his books is this. He says, we all know that to play it safe is to lose the game. I don't want to play it safe anymore. All right, back to my message. In 18, excuse me, in 1983, there was a book called Ravished by the Spirit, written by a G.A. Raw, Rawlink. I think it's how you pronounce his last name. And he's speaking about Baptist revivals in the Maritimes. This is what he says. He says, It may be of some interest that in my examination of hundreds of local Baptist revivals in Nova Scotia in the post-1830 period, I have yet to find one characterized but what I would describe as emotional excess. There is nothing, for example, to match the balking, speaking in tongues, and powerful convulsions which characterized the 19th century McDonaldite revival on Prince Edward Island. All these phenomena re were regarded by Baptists as very wild and to be avoided at all costs. <laughs> Sound about right? So again, 
What does a powerful convulsion look like? Not just a convulsion, he describes it as a powerful convulsion. It might disrupt the service. Somebody might, you might have to turn your head away from the preacher and pay attention. Oh, somebody is convulsing powerfully over there. And what if we were sensitive enough or aware enough or trained, educated, taught enough that when we saw that, we weren't alarmed, but we recognized it was God. Wouldn't that be cool? God did very strange things right here on our island, right here in the central part of the island, right where we are. The Holy Spirit came with power and demonstratively impacted the lives of people who live here. And he did it 165 years before the Toronto Blessing. The Holy Spirit visited P.I. in exactly the same way. And I tell you what, in my humble opinion, we are long overdue. 165 years, too long. We need another hit. We need another shot. We need the Lord to come and do it again. So listen to me. As your pastor, as your friend, I want you to know that I'll take it. I'll gladly take it. If God wants to come with power so that people bark or speak in tongues or experience powerful convulsions under the power of the Holy Spirit, if God wants to do that, if he's looking for a place to do it, if he's looking for a pastor that will let that happen in this church, I, I volunteer. I say, yeah, let, let me be one. <laughs> so wacky, it's complicated. <laughs> but my parents weren't as mean as meaning, naming me Donald when my last name was McDonald, right? <laughs> so if God wants to do that, I'm in. Man, I want God. I want him to come, and I want him to do whatever he wants to do. By the time of his death, by the time of McDonald's death, he had about 5,000 followers in 12 different congregations and a number of smaller what, they, smaller what they call preaching stations, maybe home groups, across the central part of this island. The followers became known as McDonald Knights. Could you imagine a church of 5,000 people in the central part of PEI? What if there was one church, it's this new thing I've never really experienced, but they have campuses now, right? There's a church that has one main facility, and then they have satellite campuses all around. It sounds like this is what they were doing. Something like that. Could you imagine a church of 5,000 people here on PEI? Huh? How did they get shut Yeah, they got shut down eventually because of control of man. Actually, because McDonald. For all he did great in the beginning, he turned out to be pretty much a control freak. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't let anybody else preach but him. That's how you kill revival. Is the hands of men strangle the life out of it. Because they care more about the opinion of man than they do the opinion of God. And we want, we want to shut it down. We want to be respectable. I remember hearing a prophet speak years ago. He said, we will have to choose between respectability and the anointing. I made that choice too many times. I'm going to choose the presence and the power of God. So let me finish up. The minister, this is what McDonald became known as, the minister, 
He fell seriously ill in 1866. He did, however, recover enough that he attempted one final preaching circuit from all of his different churches. He had hoped to visit the different congregations and those preaching stations one last time, and he, but he only made it as far as Southport before becoming permanently bedridden. And so while on his deathbed for the last few months of his life, many of his followers, so these 5,000 followers, came and, and visited him from all over the island. I read that even from bed he would baptize people. But then on uh, February 21st, 1867, at the age of 84, Donald McDonald, he went home to the Lord. His funeral, they say, was the largest funeral ever seen up to that point here on PEI. It's reported that during his lifetime, the Reverend Donald McDonald baptized more infants, married more couples than any other minister in Canada and perhaps all of North America. Truly, McDonald was a man of an amazing legacy and a very interesting life. He was a much-loved pastor and servant of the Lord. His life and his ministry left a deep impact right here on our island. So what's the application? What does this mean for us? I think it means that God can use us too. Now I'm not saying God's going to birth a revival out of this Charlottetown Vineyard and I'm the new Donald McDonald. I'm not saying that at all. I'm thinking what this shows to us, what it ought to encourage and inspire us with is this. It means that God can use you and he can use me. If he can work through the life of Paul and David and Moses, as messed up as those guys were, he can use us. If God can use a washed up, drunken Scottish pe preacher from away, like Donald McDonald, he can use this stupid kid from Brooklyn. My message to you this morning is this, no matter where your journey has taken you, no matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter how badly messed up you think you are, no matter how many times you've messed up, you are not disqualified. None of those people in the Bible I mentioned were disqualified. Donald McDonald was not disqualified. God used every single one of those broken toys in amazing ways. It ought to give us hope that he can use even the likes of us. Because it's really all about him. Our God is a reconciler. He's the one who makes all things new. He's the one who makes us new. And the life of Donald McDonald is clear, very clear evidence of this truth. And so I go back to the verse I started with today. Brothers and sisters, you gathered here this morning at the Charlottetown Vineyard. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Just God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And just like me, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Do you feel foolish? Do you feel weak? Do you feel lowly? Do you feel despised? Do you feel like a nothing? Then you, I got good news for you today. And you are exactly the type of person God would call. Exactly. So for each of you here, 
I want you to know this. God has a call on your life. A purpose greater than yourself. And I really want to pray into that this morning. My cry, my hope is this. My passionate desire is that the wind of God would blow again on Prince Edward Island. How badly do the people of this island need to feel the wind of God blow across this land again? We all know people. We all have friends and family members from, from end to end of this island. From tip to tip, from north to south. They desperately need a fresh move of God. There are people who need to be rescued. They need to be saved. Alcoholism and drug addiction have devastated this land. It's, a, it's epidemic on this island. Look what God did with John McDonald. McDonald. Imagine what he could do. If that same wind of the Spirit blew across this land and did to every addict we know on this island what it did to Donald McDonald, holy cow. God could raise up an army of people. It would change the world. I believe that the Ruha, the Spirit, the wind of God can blow again. It absolutely can right here on PEI. I remember hearing the prophet Bobby Connor speak once. He says, if not you, who? If not here, where? If not now, when? Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? I know God's not finished with PEI. He called me here for a reason. God's not finished with me. He's absolutely not finished with you. So would you stand with me this morning? I just want to cry out to God for more. Oh, God. Lord, hear our cry. We come boldly before your throne of grace this morning. And Lord, we come bankrupt. We have nothing. We're empty. All we got is you. We're a small church, a handful of people. We got no money. We don't even have our own building. But we got you. And you alone is more than enough. So I prophesy to the wind. Wind blow across Prince Edward Island again. I speak to you by the, in the power in the authority, in the name of Jesus. I stand in, in faith and boldly with the prophetic anointing that's on me. I speak to the wind. Wind blow across Prince Edward Island again. Lord, let the wind blow. I prophesy to the Ruha of God, Spirit of God, come and blow across this land. Holy Spirit, come and be God in our midst. Do whatever you want to do. Lord, as you continue to work and move in North America, as your spirit is working across Canada, even now, Ruha of God, blow across our island. Yes. Lord, I ask that you, would, that you would speak to the seeds of revival from the McDonaldite revival 165 years ago. Breathe, speak on those seeds. Call forth out of the land, O oh God what you put in there, and let it come forth. I prophesy the mighty presence of God Almighty right here on Prince Edward Island, right here in Charlottetown, in Summerside, in our church, in Summerside Community Church, throughout the Maritimes. I prophesy revival. Lord, bring revival. Speak revival over this land. Let it be genuine authentic revival by the moving and the power of your spirit 
not some series of meetings that man calls revival, but actual, documented, historical revival. Come and do God-sized things. Lord, we come boldly before you this morning. We are the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised. Speak over us. Speak over the Charlottetown Vineyard, O oh God. Let your word come forth from your mouth, from your throne. Speak what is not as though it is. Out of nothing, create everything. By the power of your word, do it, Lord. Do it, Jesus. Do it, Father God. In Jesus' name, do it.
you guys have an awesome day. I'll see you next week.